This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody, it's so good to be with you today. We're in the middle of a series called That's Fire, and I have for a few weeks invited some of my friends to be with you. Today, I have a gift for you. It's my friend, Jonathan Pearson. And to be perfectly honest with you, Jonathan has been a friend for a long time, but one of the reasons we became friends was when God began to develop the idea that we now call Vortex Church in my heart. He was one of the very first people to believe in it. Jonathan at the time was directing a a collaborative effort called The Sticks. It was a group of people who were doing modern church in small towns and invited me to be a part of one of their gatherings. And I got to sit around and listen to guys who were doing what I didn't know could be done in places that most people would say you would never be able to do that. And it encouraged me and actually nurtured the vision that God had given. And I remember the day that we sat down and I shared, this is what I feel like God's called me to do. And he said, I believe you can do it. From the very beginning, Jonathan has served as one of our overseers. He's one of five pastors from across the country that make up an advisory board who help to, really they're there for me when I don't know what to do or I have a question about this and More than that, they serve as mentors and friends. Jonathan is that. He's a friend. A lot of times, you have. how many of y'all have those people you reach out when you need somebody to pray for you? That's my overseers. So when I do something stupid, or when we're going through a hard time, they're the people that I reach out to. And The thing about Jonathan is Jonathan will reach back out and say, hey, I'm praying for you. And then the next day, I'm praying for you. Then the next week, I'm praying for you. The next month, I'm praying for you. There will be days when he'll reach out and say, Kevin, I just want you to know, today I have an alarm set every hour. I'm going to be praying for you all day long. How many of y'all know? You need some friends like that. He's been that kind of a friend. He's preached here many, many years now. It's been remarkable. I mean, he has brought some incredible words to us. He's a prolific communicator. I mean, he's super funny. He knows more dad jokes than perhaps anybody in the room. He's written several books. The first one, Next Up, A a Guide for Next Generation Leaders, and then Be the Switch, both available on Amazon. (laughs) little plug for you. Um, He's not here to sell books. Can I just encourage you before he gets up here? A lot of times you've heard me say this, come hungry. Come hungry. When you come to church, come hungry. Why? Because when you're hungry, everything tastes good. Sometimes we get in a moment like this and we don't really position our hearts to receive what God has for us because we're not hungry enough for it. I want you to hear this. I believe specifically for you, for this service today, Jonathan has a word for us. And if you'll let him, 
What he has to give you today can transform the way you see your life in this season. I want you to be hungry. The only way we receive something is when we're willing to receive it. We're hungry to receive it. And today, God has something through Jonathan for you. So would you welcome my friend, Jonathan Pearson. How we doing? We good? Can y'all uh, can y'all just give it up for your for your pastor? Can y'all? You know, I, I mentioned it uh, first service. Uh, seems like you don't have to go through too many news articles this day and age to see uh, a pastor who isn't living what they preach, unfortunately. And I personally love it. Um, when uh, pastors don't act like those pastors and live a life of integrity and uh, authenticity, and your pastor, your pastor does. Um, I was thinking earlier uh, in the bathroom uh, about uh, not just Pastor Kevin, but also the staff of this church and how um, how well they work together, how much they love each other. And so I, I just want to maybe just gently remind you of that somebody coming in from the outside who isn't here uh, every week uh, that you have an incredible church that's making an incredible impact uh, in this community. Uh, we were trying to calculate it earlier, and uh, thankfully, uh, I have a calendar that goes back a long way. And I've been coming here since 2014. So I have seen um, Vortex grow and develop, and the heart of this church is still as strong as it was the day uh, the day it started. So you're in a good place. Um, just to let you know, uh, I am... Um, Pentecostal with a seatbelt. So you can feel free to shout back at me. You can feel free to clap. But most importantly, and listen, this may be the most important thing I say. I need you to laugh at my jokes like they're funny. Cool? And then, then we'll, 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 get, we'll get along. Uh, I want to uh, talk for just a few minutes, and I'll kind of I'll set it up like, like this. How many of you have ever had to go through something or do something that you didn't want to do at the time, but when you look back, you're glad you did? Anybody? For me, uh, the most vivid memory of this comes with food. Y'all track with me. I, I, love, I love Mexican food. Anybody love Mexican food in the house? Y'all are my people. Feel you. I love Mexican food. I love all types of Mexican food. As a matter of fact, one of the best weeks of my life was one week a couple of years ago when I got to eat Mexican food every day of the week. I had enough people that would go with me. And so I love, I love Mexican food. If anybody asks me where you want to go, they don't ask me that unless they expect to go to, to Mexican. And so a, few, a couple of months ago, my wife, Melissa, and I, we were uh, on, a, on a date night. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to try not to go to Mexican. Even though she would have been perfectly fine with that, I decided I was going to try something different. And so we're trying to figure out where we want to go to dinner, which, by the way, they don't tell you before you get married that one of the leading causes of divorce is trying to figure out where you want to go to dinner. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out where we want to go to dinner. I don't, I don't want to suggest Mexican, um, even though she knows that's really where my heart is. Um, and so we're trying to figure it out. She suggests this, this Italian restaurant. So we pull up in the parking lot, and I realize the parking lot's pretty full. And I'm thinking, Mexican restaurants aren't this busy. And then we go in, we have to wait for a table. Once again, I'm thinking, I don't usually have to wait at a Mexican restaurant. We sit down to eat, they bring us the menu, and I'm thinking, Mexican food's cheaper than this. So we order, 
It takes a little while while we're waiting on our food. Y'all know what I'm thinking. Mexican food doesn't take long. Like literally they have five ingredients, they arrange them and they bake the plate. Like they bake the whole thing and then they bring it to you and they warn you about the hot plate and you eat and it's delicious. So we wait on our food. It finally comes and I take one bite and that is when the hallelujah chorus rained down on me. It was, it, it, it was amazing. It was something that I would have never asked for, but I was glad I got. Has God ever done that to you? Has he ever given you something? Has he ever blessed you in a way that you would have never known to ask for? Maybe you wanted to move to like a certain location, a certain city, and maybe the door got shut on that. But as you look back, you're really glad that he blessed you with where you are. Or maybe there was a situation where you prayed, you prayed in a specific way and he didn't do it. But when you look back on that one, two, ten years later, you're glad that he didn't give you what you asked for because he blessed you in a way that you would have never known to ask for. The truth is, is if we're on planet Earth as an adult for more than like 30 minutes, we're going to go through some, some trouble. We're going to get some things that we didn't ask for, aren't we? People are going to abandon us. Relationships are going to struggle. Financial hardship is going to come we're going to experience heartache and abandonment. Things are going to happen that we didn't ask for. And, and the truth is, is that when we go through trial, when we go through, through pain, it, it breaks God's heart. I don't know what your view of God is today, but God never celebrates your pain. There's never a time where God is watching you suffer and he's sitting up there with his arms crossed and he's like, ha, serves them right. They deserve it. No, your pain breaks God's heart. In fact, I think one of the lies of the enemy that he tells people today is that somehow God gets pleasure from people's pain because if he can convince you that God enjoys your pain, you will have a view of God that is not sufficient or good. God does not enjoy your pain, but... God has a way of using your pain and my pain in ways that we would have never asked or imagined. You see, the beautiful thing about God is he created, he, he created the entire timeline. From eternity to eternity, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega, he is all of that. And so he is the master planner and executor of our lives. He sees the entire picture. And so he is able to operate outside of the little speck of time that you see right in front of you, whether you like the speck right in front of you or not. He sees the entire picture. God has a, a, a bigger perspective. Today, I want to talk for the next couple of hours from this topic. I'm just kidding. Some of y'all, if it's your first time, you're like, I think we can sneak out. This is my title, The Unwanted Blessing. The Unwanted Blessing. In order for us to understand how God wants to bless through our trials and, and through the pain, we have to understand God's purpose for our life. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but God's purpose for your life is not to make your life miserable. Some of, some of us have almost been raised with that mentality. If you grew up in maybe a, a, a churchy situation and, 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 and a church that kind of taught that God almost, he just wants you to be miserable. On, on the same side, God's purpose for your life is not to make your life easy. God is not your genie in a bottle where you just get, some of y'all are singing that song now, aren't you? 
I'm not going to sing the rest of it because what happens after that is not church worthy. But God is not your, God is not your genie in a bottle where he is just trying to make, make your lives, life easy. No, God is, God is neither one of those things. The purpose for your life and the purpose for my life and the purpose that God is trying to, trying to get through our lives is God wants us to come to a place of complete, total reliance on him through a relationship. He wants to make us more like Jesus and make us completely rely on him. Why? Because C.S. Lewis put it like this. God can't give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. In other words, if God is going to accomplish his purpose, he has to bring us to a place of truly relying and depending on him. With that in mind, I want to jump into today's scripture. It's found in the book of James, James chapter one. And just to kind of set James up, James, if you, if you, don't, if you don't know, is the half-brother of Jesus. James understood what it meant to go through trial. He understood what it meant to be in places where it, that didn't quite make sense. In fact, he's the half-brother of Jesus. Can, can y'all imagine being the half-brother of Jesus? Like some of y'all got compared to your siblings. Can you imagine being compared to Jesus? Like there's a storm brewing and your parents are like, why can't you calm the storm? Jesus did it. Or maybe dinner isn't quite ready, or maybe not enough dinner was cooked, and they're like, well, why can't you just multiply this one fish and one loaf of bread? Your, your brother did. But James understood, understood trial and pain. In fact, he was there for the crucifixion of Jesus. And even though James wasn't necessarily a believer in Jesus being the Messiah at that point, it was still his brother. So he understood, he understood pain. Jesus, James was also there for the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it was after the resurrection that James would decide that Jesus, his half-brother Jesus, was actually the Messiah. In fact, if you look at the characters in the New Testament, they would say that their belief in Jesus hinges on the resurrection. If you were to ask them, why are you willing, and, and most of them died by martyrdom. So if you ask them, why were you willing to be killed for this message of Jesus? They would say, I saw the resurrection and I could not deny it. Like I didn't just read about it, but literally I saw this man, Jesus, who was dead, put in a grave, and then he got out of the grave and I couldn't help but follow him. James became a believer after the resurrection. And so in the book of James, he's writing to this group of Jewish believers who are suffering persecution at the hands of the Roman government. They've began to divide families. They've lost jobs. They've lost homes. And not only is persecution coming from the Roman government, but they've also begun kind of fighting within the church because that's what oftentimes happens, right? When you face outside pressure, it becomes something that can begin to, to tear away at your inner circle. And so James is writing to these people in James 1, verse 2, when he says this. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James is telling us that trials are opportunities, that the trials, the pain, the struggle that we face are actually opportunities. And so he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Y'all ever read something in the Bible and you think, like, I don't want to say this out loud, but that seems ridiculous. Y'all ever, ever read the Bible? Yeah, be a good time just to lie. Just go ahead and lie. Raise your hand. But sometimes I'll read things and I'll be like, you know, it almost feels wrong to think this, but this doesn't make any sense. Consider it pure joy my brother I, there's never been a time in my life where the washer and the dryer went out in the same day and I thought praise the Lord this is a joyous occasion but yet yeah, that that's what that's what James seems to be 
seems to be telling us here is he's saying, consider your joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now notice what James isn't saying. James isn't telling us to desire trials. He's not saying to get on your knees and pray that the washer and the dryer go out in the same day. That's not faith. That's stupidity. He's not, he's not saying that you desire trials. What he's saying is he's saying you accept trials and you reframe them. You evaluate them as a believer in Jesus from a different perspective. You see them from, from God's view, from that eternal timeline rather than from your little mediocre human timeline. That, that word consider there is the root word for that is, is evaluate. It's more of a financial term. And so if, if you and I, if we're going to evaluate something from a financial perspective, what, what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to look at it. We're going to see how much it's worth. We're going to see what we can do with it, how much it's going to be worth to us. Or maybe we'll even look and see how much it'll be worth in five or 10 years. And so what, what can we sell it for? And so in other words, if we're evaluating our trials, we're looking at them from, 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 from every point of view, from all possible outcomes, we're, we're, we're looking at it from a, from a perspective of saying, okay, what could this really, really be worth? If we evaluate trials, when, when the trial comes, when the phone call comes that we didn't want to get, or when the relationship breaks down that meant so much to us, or when the financial trouble comes and we don't see how we're going to make the payment, or when the sickness comes back, or the cancer comes back, or when the anxiety weighs so heavy, if we evaluate trials, we see them not just for how they make us feel in the moment, but for what they may be worth down the road. So my question is, how, how do you evaluate your trials? Like, how do you, how do you evaluate your trials? How do you, how do you consider it? Do you, do you immediately become hopeless? Because I think that's what a lot of us do. Like, sometimes, I don't know about y'all, but, but for me, sometimes it seems like it's not one trial, I can handle that, but it's when it's a trial after a trial after a trial after a trial after I can't figure out what to do about that thing after there seems to be no resolution with that thing, and now I'm tired, I'm worn out. But how do you, how do you evaluate? Do you get to that point of, of hopelessness? For some of us, we go into panic mode, don't we? And so we, we, just, we just start blowing stuff up. We just start making moves. We just start doing things. We go into panic mode. For, for, for some of us, we go into blame mode when the trial comes. And so we blame the people around us. We blame those that are closest to us usually. So we begin to blame other people for our trial. How do you evaluate the trial? How do you, con how do you con consider it? Many of us, even if we're faithful followers of Jesus, can go into one of those modes, that blame mode or that panic mode or that hopeless mode. But what James is telling us is he's saying trials don't have to be hopeless. They don't have to be over. Bearing. One of the things that I've learned in my short life is that I don't always get to choose the trial, but I do always get to choose how I consider the trial. In other words, I don't always have control over what happens to me. I don't always have control over how other people treat me. I don't always have control over the gossip that happens behind my back. I don't always have control over the car breaking down. I don't always have control over the sickness in my family. I don't always have control over how my aging parents are, seem to be falling apart lately. I don't always have control over what happens to me, but I can always choose what I'm going to do in response to my trial. How am I going to consider my trial? Because we, sometimes we look at the situation and we get so marred down in it and we think there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing you can do about the trial, but you can choose how you're going to respond to it. Is this going to grow you? Are you going to allow this to 
to, to get you to the point of, of, of closer to Jesus, of full reliance on him? Or are you going to get bitter and are you going to back away? Trials can make you bitter or they can make you better. Here's a statement I want you to write down. As believers, we choose to believe that trials are blessed opportunities, not hopeless burdens. As a believer in Jesus, I choose to believe that trials are blessed opportunities, not hopeless burdens. It's, it's the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. It's the gospel message, right? The gospel message is that a man was dead and now he's alive. The gospel message is that there is always, always, always great hope, even in the midst of my pain and my trial. Trials are blessed opportunities, not hopeless burdens. So, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we consider our trials joy even when we want them to go away? We have to face the trials of life and evaluate them in light of who we really believe God is. Because when you can't see how God is working, you have to trust who God is. Because all you have is to trust in the character of God. One of the things I've come to realize is that my values will determine my evaluations of things. What I value will determine how I see things. For us, as we walk with Jesus, if, if we value comfort in life, then the slightest bit of discomfort will shake our faith, won't it? If, if, if we value finances, if we value money, then the slightest bit of financial trouble will have us questioning, is God really there? If we value surface-level ha uh, surface happiness, then small conflicts will bring turmoil. But if we value God, and if we truly believe that God is who he says he is, we'll evaluate trials differently, and inconvenience and financial hardship and sickness will have a purpose and will not drown our faith. So how will you choose to see your trouble? As blessed opportunities or as hopeless burdens. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So trials are opportunities, but trials are also inevitable. Y'all, trials are going to happen. And so James doesn't write through these people that are, to these people, these Jewish believers who are undergoing significant persecution. He doesn't write to them and say, no, it's not that big of a deal. Suck it up, buttercup. James doesn't write to them and tell them, you know what, if you just deny it and, and you just carry on whistling a happy tune through life, everything will be fine. Have you ever had somebody try to tell you that? Like, just have enough faith. Don't acknowledge it. Don't speak anything bad. Now, I totally believe there's value in our words and what we say. I believe we can speak things that are, that are positive or negative over our lives. But trouble does happen, y'all. And James isn't trying to tell these, these Jewish believers to just deny everything. I mean, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world, James, or John 16, 33. So it would be wrong of James to write to these people who are having their families literally torn apart, who are literally dying for their faith and say, just deny the trouble. No, we will face trials. And so I'm not going to stand up here today and tell you that life isn't hard because y'all, life is hard. Have y'all realized that? Life is hard. People will abandon you. People will gossip about you. People will cause you pain. You will go through pain. Sometimes you will suffer for the stupid choices that we made, don't we? Life is 
hard, but it's an opportunity. Every trial that we face is an opportunity for God to do something. When I was reading this passage and I was writing this message, I, I really wanted to start out with this point that trials are inevitable. Like it makes more sense for me to tell, in my mind, for me to say, trials happen, so consider them joy. Doesn't that just make more sense to you? Like if I could have set this message up with trials happen, and then I could have come back behind it and say, so consider it joy. And I almost tried to do some fancy preachery stuff to kind of switch these around. I could, have, I could have done that. But it was almost like in the middle of reading these, Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, no, James, James wrote this the way it was supposed to be written. And here's why I believe he did. Because choosing to see the joy in the midst of trial happens before the trial ever arrives. Choosing that the trouble or the trial is going to be used to make you stronger is a predecision to the trial getting there. Choosing that I'm not going to let this take, take me down, I'm not going to let this shake my faith, I am going to walk through this with grace and clinging to my Savior, that choice happens before the trial ever gets there. It's a pre-decision. It's me deciding now, you know what, no matter what I go through, come hell or high water, come sickness, come death, come pain, I am going to choose to see that God is still faithful through it all. It happens before the trial comes. And so James says, consider it pure joy because trials, they're coming. It's a pre-decision. Our outlook often determines outcome. How you look at a situation, how we go into a situation often determines the outcome of that situation. How you walk into work tomorrow morning, the attitude that you walk in there with will oftentimes determine the day that you have. How you walk into a new school year often determines what's going to happen with that school year. So James says, you've got to make up your mind ahead of time. The trials are coming. The fire is coming. The pain is coming. It is coming. So decide now that I am going to stay faithful because I believe God can do something bigger. So James spends this verse telling us to consider it pure joy but then he gives us some reason behind it. James 1.3, he says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that's the unwanted blessing, isn't it? Perseverance. That's the Italian dinner when you wanted Mexican. Perseverance. James says, all of this happens. The trial, the considering it joy, the pain, the hardship. No, it, it, it has a purpose. It's not God abandoning you. It's not him leaving you out in the cold. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's not compassionate. No, he has a purpose, and it's to develop perseverance inside of you so that your faith can withstand the trials. Perseverance has a purpose. Perseverance is, biblically, is, 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 is the, the thing that keeps you going even in the midst of struggle. It's staying power. It's not a passive acceptance of your circumstances. No, it's you digging your heels in the ground and standing on the truth of God and the character of God. Perseverance is staying with it even when it gets difficult. We don't like perseverance in today's culture, do we? I mean, it's almost like I just said a four-letter word up here when I said the word perseverance because we don't persevere through anything. When it gets hard, we quit. 
We quit the job. People are changing jobs faster than ever in today's, in today's culture because we don't persevere. When the, when, the, when, when the least bit of inconvenience happens, we're out of there. We're going on Indeed.com and searching. We quit relationships really fast. We quit our marriage. We quit diets really fast. Okay, I'm not going to get to that one. But what James is saying is he's saying that the blessing comes when it gets hard, but you stick to it. This word for testing that James uses here is the same word that Peter uses in 1 Peter 1.7 when he says this. He says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. If you're taking notes, here's something to write down. True relationship and faith must pass pass the test. True relationship and faith must pass the test. Whether you realize it or not, this, this plays itself out in your everyday life. You have to test something before you really know if it can withstand the pressure. That chair you're, you're, you're sitting in right now, you had to test it before you really knew it would, it would hold you up, didn't you? This, this stool right here, I can look at this stool and I can think, you know, I'm not that big of a boy. This thing will hold me up. It seems pretty, well, yeah. See, <laughs> I was about to say it seems pretty sturdy and here it is, wobbling. It, it, it seems pretty sturdy, and so I can, I can say, you know what, my, my feet are really tired. Like, I wish I had somewhere to sit down. Oh, I can, I can, I can look at this stool. I can think, uh, that seems like a good place to sit down. But when can I really put my faith, when can I really know that this stool is worth my faith? What do I have to do? I've got to sit in it, right? And so I really think that for some of us this morning, we're, we're going through a trial or, or we're going through something. And what God has been trying to get you to do is to sit down in your faith. Because if you never have to test it, if the pain doesn't come, if the trial doesn't come, if the unsuspected doesn't show up, then how will you ever know if your faith can really withstand the test? How will you know without persevering if really at the end of the day, if your faith passes the test. How will you really know that God is the comforter unless you feel pain and you have to sit in God being your comforter? How will you know if God really is your healer if the sickness never comes? How will you really know that God is your provider if you never get to a point of him having to provide for you? God knows that the only way to get you to your purpose in life, being fully dependent on him and like his son Jesus, is for you to go through some things so that your faith will pass the test. And what is absolutely amazing is that the more times that you sit in your faith, the more times that you have to trust, the more times that your faith passes the test, when you get down the road, you can look back And you can say, I know, I know God is worth it. I know he can sustain me because I remember when. I remember when I was doubled over in the floor begging God to act, and he did. I remember when the bank account had a negative balance, and he took care of me. 
I remember when I felt so alone and scared, but yet I felt his presence with me. The only way to get there is for you to see your trials as blessed opportunities and not hopeless burdens. James is saying, my trials can actually be a blessing not a burden that I push away. As believers, we choose to see that trials are blessed opportunities, not hopeless burdens. So how do we receive God's blessing of perseverance and dependence on him? We keep going. We keep going. We keep leaning on him. We keep relying on his character. We keep pressing in. We keep taking the next right step. Even though our faith may be shaky, we cling to him and let him develop that thing in us that he so desperately wants you to have. Because once you get it, you know what connection with him and having something stable to rely on is really all about. So here's my challenge to you today. If you're going through a trial, if you're going through a pain, is hold on. Keep walking with Jesus. Keep going. The only way for you to stop this unwanted blessing from coming to you, the only way for you to stop God from developing perseverance in you is for you to quit, for you to drop out, for you to let go, for you to turn your back, for you to say, God, you must be up there with your arms crossed laughing at my pain. No, he's not. You've got to keep going. Stay faithful. Let one step become two. Let one day become two days. Let two days become a week. Let a week become a month. Let a month become year. Let a year become years and keep walking with Jesus because he is doing something in the midst of your trial. Oh, if you could see it. If you could see what he sees. If you could know what he knows. Keep walking with Jesus, and I really do believe this morning that there are people under the sound of my voice and you are so close to seeing God do something absolutely incredible in and through you. And my encouragement to you today is do not back away. Don't back away. Because he is developing that thing. And he is worth you testing one more time. So my question is, what do you need to do this morning? What is your response to God's word? As Pastor Kevin was saying, you usually get out of something what you look for. And so when God begins to teach us something, we have to be willing to respond. What is going to be your response to this message this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed. For some of you this morning, you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Because if you're honest with yourself, some trials have taken you away from him and he never moved, you did. So some of you right now in the quietness of this moment, and don't wait, don't wait till you get home because then life hits again. But some of you in the quietness of this moment, you need to just tell Jesus, I'm coming back. 
I'm sitting in my faith again. I'm trusting you again. I'm surrendering again. For some of you, you're in the middle of a trial right now. As a matter of fact, the first time I said that word, something popped into your mind and you know exactly what it is. Right now, you need to ask God to help for you to see that trial from his perspective. To see what he could be doing, what he could be developing inside of you. And for some of you, you really need to surrender your life to Jesus. You've gone through the motions, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's been all about checking boxes and playing a part. You need a relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.